Does your business use jargon? If it does, are you using it when you're addressing your customers? Because if you are, you could be turning them off. No one wants to admit they don't understand what they're being told or feel comfortable asking for it to be explained. In this episode, we're joined by Anne Page, who has trained over 7,000 lawyers in her time. And that wasn't her obvious career choice, as she explains. Let's get on to making conversations about jargon count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, remember that top secret opportunity? Well, I've planned and posed questions to a dragon. I was so excited to be selected and you can share what happened with me by following the hashtag Diary of a Conversation Queen. Hopefully that'll give you a clue too. I've received this review from Drehan in Buckhurst Hill. Hi Wendy, I had a listen to Gem Hills. Wow, what a great episode. I absolutely loved it especially the part about the dancing and that's something that just clicked in his mind saying he was actually good at something. Wow, he has really come a long way since. I couldn't agree more with you, Drian. Jem is a real gent and a tribute to our armed forces. If you've not listened to the episode, do seek it out and have a listen. He's a great guy. Business skills, we all need business skills, yet we are also experts at what we do. So I have with me now author of Business Skills, Don't Be Daft, I'm a Lawyer. It's Anne Page. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today, Anne. Thank you for asking me, Wendy. I'm delighted to be here. I'm intrigued. Previous lawyer, long career in that field. And you saw that particular industry needed some help. Tell us more about that. Okay. As you have mentioned, my career is in two halves. And I was actually more of a business lawyer because being an in-house lawyer means you work for companies. So I predominantly worked with banks, um, except for one stint for the retailer called Next. So you saw lots of business ideas come to fruition and out into the marketplace. And then my profession has gone through so much change in the last 20 years, and it's getting faster and faster. So about 18 years ago, when I came out of there, I wanted to take my business skills, my leadership skills, my management skills and experience out to them. And I think one of the fun statements or credibility statements is I've trained nearly 7,000 lawyers in that time um, on on, on these skills. And I'm a great believer it has to be fun as well. And I love the in-person training. (laughs) Oh, same. But I love the in-person training. You can replicate some. And I think the hardest part for any training is that the people on the training have to be invested in it. Absolutely whether they're in the training room or on virtual platforms. And if they don't put their screens on, that makes it even more difficult because the kind of workshops I do are very interactive. It's not a question of me telling them what this act says or what this case says. It is about where is your business? What are your challenges? 
within the particular context. It could be resilience, could be leadership, could be having challenging conversations, etc. So it has to be a more of a dialogue and more interactive. And plus the fact I like to make you work. <laughs> well, in my workshops. Yeah, you wouldn't be. I mean, I was only having this conversation this morning and it is that any recommendations that we make as trainers has got to be because we can see that that change will bring about results. And it's not about just identifying what change needs to happen, but how can they implement it? They've got to see themselves actually doing it or it's just never going to stick. And of course, if you do that in a fun way, I think it's way more memorable. I totally agree, Wendy. I'm a how girl, so I want to know how things are done. So even in my book, I have exercises. So here's sort of how to choose your name in terms of law firms. Do you have legal? Do you have solicitor? And these are examples. And this is the process just for thinking it through. And even on my website, I have a complimentary exercises whether it's personal branding, whether it's personal qualities as a leader, all sorts of things. So plenty of ways for them to sort of learn how to do things. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you go back 30 odd years when I first started and I've been on some really, really top rated, expensive training courses and I've come out of there absolutely buzzing because I can see the logic. I can see that that's going to really make a difference. And then you get back to the office and you go, well, how am I going to do that? Because it's not specifically relevant to my business. How do I make it relevant? And then you get stuck because it was kind of too generic, too flannel. And it goes in the too difficult box. And at the end of each workshop or even coaching session, we look at what actions are we going to take? Because sometimes you can learn lots and you need to avoid going into overwhelm. So pick one or two that you can easily do and then build up into those that might be a bit challenging that you might need some coaching help with. So yeah, yes, definitely embedding new stuff. It's creating a habit, isn't it? Do one thing at a time. Yes. yes. Let's think about the things that we can do ourselves because they're the quicker things to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. Prioritize the things that really have to happen as well, that you, even yeah. the, the things that you've been putting off, Absolutely. make them the must do on your to-do list. Else you're never going to really affect any change, are you, if you're not going to embrace even the bits you don't like? Absolutely. You know, it, it does take commitment. And what was it Aristotle said that we are what we repeatedly do? Excellence is not an act, it's a habit. And as you said, and it's something that I believe in, you know, what can I do on a daily basis or weekly basis? And we've only got to look at all the good stuff on well-being <laughs> and exercise to know that, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, we've had a difficult period, haven't we, where things have changed. Routine. Our routine has been turned upside down and the way that we work has, has changed. We've all had to evolve and adapt, which has meant that some bad habits have crept in, haven't they? They can do. They can do. Or what we're hearing now is this desire with some law firms to return to the pre-COVID working days, regardless of actually examining um, what they want to keep or what they don't want to keep. So, for example, an email will go around to everybody back in the office from Monday or whatever day they've got in mind. And in fact, I'm doing a leading out of COVID workshop on Friday where we're going through and actually what is working for you that you've 
change, what is not working for you that you want to end once the restrictions, all the restrictions go, or what can you do now? And we're going through that process. So it's good to evaluate, not just from a company point of view, but also the wellness of your culture for the staff, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, lots there's certainly been a lot of change, a good change. Certainly one of my clients is an advocate for mental health well-being. There's an awful lot in that way. And I have seen lots of differences in law firms whereby they are taking these on board. So we don't want them to slide back to bad habits. Absolutely. Whilst all of this is being looked at under the microscope, in actual fact, what's happening is lots more conversation is happening and the right kind of conversation to affect the right kind of change, which I'm obviously an advocate of. (laughs) So when it comes to your day-to-day world then, Anne, I know that you've written a few books. I know that you do these webinars and you help in the law firm. What would you say conversation means to you to run your business? It's a really good question. One of the skills that I teach nearly on every workshop I do is called active listening because it's a skill. We are so programmed as experts to be wanting to provide our expertise that the client or customer has just said hello and we're delivering their solution. So just actually giving them time to tell their story so that they can feel heard. So there's a little exercise I do where in pairs they have to listen for 30 seconds, one listens, then one repeats. So it can be fun. Some find it easier than others. Active listening is really important. So that's where I would start. What is it Stephen Covey says? Seek first to understand, then be understood. That's interesting because you've just made me think about those times where we go networking and we have 30 seconds (laughs) to sell ourselves. And we have so much to say, don't we? And in actual fact, less is more. I would say that sometimes people need to slow down than speed up. I would say that they need to just have make one point to be remembered. Because if you're so busy writing something down, you're trying to remember what it is that you're writing down, you'll miss the next point. Absolutely. And certainly talking to my lawyers who think they demonstrate active listening by writing things down, when in fact... Or if they're sat face to face, all the client sees is the top of their head. So one of the things is once they've told the story, then go back and say, there's some points I'd like to capture. Can we just revisit them? So that, that's one way. Those that are listening that in a sort of sales role, and I know a lot are in the sales and marketing role in the audience, would say that actually active listening, whilst yes, it is a fundamental key to getting on with and building those relationships. It's even simpler than that, do you think, that it is just about making sure that everything that you do is about the customer? Yes, you have to be customer-centric or client-centric. It's easy to say, it's what does that mean? And that's why I started with active listening, because I can't help you out. I can make educated guesses and be right maybe 90% of the time. However, Whoever's coming to talk to me about their business challenges wants a space to talk to me first. So I must listen before I can say, well, actually, I can help here or we can do this. Yes, you've got to really understand or assumptions are made, aren't they? And that can really get you into hot water. If you make an assumption, 
and there's nothing that that's based on. And you have to kind of sometimes just use your gut instinct as to what they're alluding to as well. Certainly in terms of questions without trying to put them on trial, you can use the five wives and one husband. What, where, when, who, how, why. I haven't heard that phrase for such a long time, Anne. I've always referred to them as the Bible. The Bible ah. open questions. So if you think of the yes. Bible, yeah, that's five wives and one husband. I like that. Yeah, I'd probably get on better with four other women <laughs> to help me out. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. The caveat I would say is that with a why question, you will generally get a justification. Why were you late? Because the train was. So just bear in mind. The others, what and how would we do that? What does that mean? And those kind of questions open up, as you know. And from a sales point of view, I'm sure they're embedded, what, however you call them, into your psyche, Wendy. And why can be opinionated, can't it? It's, it's very opinionated. Yeah. And there's less you can do about that opinion rather than be factually based. So how are you backing that up? And it's all about taking control, isn't it? And I suppose it's about taking control of the conversation back that when I say to people, we don't work with scripts, we don't have sheets of paper that are written out step by step to ask a question, because sometimes the other person doesn't see what that script is, hasn't got a clue what questions you're going to ask, will offer up more information than you've asked because it naturally leads for them. And then you're off script, aren't you? But certainly those five wives and a husband, I'm going to start using that, Anne, now. (laughs) Those five wives and a husband, if you order them cleverly, can be those leading questions as part of that customer journey to incorporate that active listening. Absolutely. And to remember, I guess, whichever professional background you are, is yes, the clients, customers want results. They also want to enjoy the experience. In fact, my last blog was on this. They want to enjoy it now. So that has been a great change. Yeah, there's been an interesting article that I've read on LinkedIn that was produced by LinkedIn. So I can't imagine that it's not credible sources. And it was talking about the buyer journey that whilst there is still a place for businesses to go out to customers to encourage them to buy from them, in actual fact, it's a fairly even split now that half of the market just does not want it any longer. Now, that used to be a much higher percentage. You'd be sitting at about 20, 25% that just really didn't like being approached. And that is now sitting at about 53%. So in actual fact, it's swung in favor of a majority. They don't want to be approached. So if you are using outreach in any way, shape or form, you've got to be really smart and succinct with how you convey your messaging and come across in your conversational marketing or just your pure conversations. I agree. And it goes back to knowing your clients or the client base that you want to attract, knowing what product or service, particularly in the legal field that they need in a business context and what you're going to provide yourself, what you're going to introduce them, how to sort of engage them on lots of different levels. Certainly the legal profession hates being sold to. Yes, the legal profession, I'm going to come on to this because I know this is something that you help them with. They have an awful lot of big posh words, don't they, Anne? 
then can leave whoever needs it a little confused as to why they should have it in the first place or it becomes too complicated to unravel. What's your view on that? There has certainly been a drive over the last few decades to simplify the language. Some of it's set out in, if you like, the statues. So it is trickier at some stage, some of the technical language is going to be used. And IT has more technical terms. I was just thinking, yeah, IT. <laughs> IT. So the lawyer is the interpreter. And if I'm trying to explain neurolinguistic programming, NLP, then it's up to me to explain that in as simple language as possible. And the same for a lawyer, the same for an architect, whoever it is, you have to use the client's language where possible, or at least guide them in stages. So they've got a platform of knowledge for you to introduce these complicated terms. I think it is about making it relatable, isn't it, to real life scenarios. And I think that lawyers, solicitors, legal, finance, I would say that it's what I would class as kind of white collar workers tend to get wrapped up in the jargon, don't they? And certainly I've seen a vast difference, Wendy. However, the last 18 years I've not been employed in businesses. There was certainly a drive when I was head of legal at the Cotted Bank. We certainly wanted it in everyday language. And certainly the what we call private client, those who serve consumers, want it to be in everyday language because otherwise we're not going to engage them. No, absolutely. So all of this sort of unraveling the jargon is all about being able to identify ways of promotion, really, isn't it? And in communication, conversation, it's going to be key. What's the biggest example or a story that you can think of that really kind of proves the point? Have you got any anecdotes? I have an anecdote about an important conversation that changed my life. So if I share that, then you can decide whether that hits the mark. And if not, I'll think of another one. The context for the conversation was I was at Leeds Polytechnic doing my law degree. The way we were taught criminal law was the lecturer came in, opened his book and read to us. So you can imagine. <laughs> We've got an app class. now, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that did not engage us. So if I fast forward to the exam, and I'm sat in the criminal law exam, must have been full of jargon. I think, um, don't understand this. And I came out. I just walked out because I thought I'm not sitting here. I was fine about it, but the people behind me just <laughs> went overboard a little bit to make sure I was okay. What it did do was made me think, did I want to be a lawyer? Did I not want to be a lawyer? Because I actually left school with no levels. So the reason I started um, the journey to become a solicitor was I got an A and A level law at a business college. So I'm thinking, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? I don't know what I want to do. And I was in a departmental store when I bumped into my sister's teacher and who was a family friend, and she grabbed me <laughs> by, the of the neck. <laughs> by the scruff of the neck, yanked me towards her, and I'm quite little, so we're nose to nose looking at me, and she looked me in the eye and said, promise me, Anne, promise me you will go back and complete your degree. Promise me, promise me. And I just thought, okay, <laughs> okay, I'll go back. And I thought, Wow. I mean, my parents were just whatever makes you happy. Christina just was so passionate about fulfilling my potential, I guess, finishing my degree. 
And it did two things for me. It gave me a lifelong love of learning new things, whether that's about the law, about communication, about business. I just loved it. But secondly, in thinking about specific conversations, it reminded me that my senior contract manager said something about my leadership and management style. And it's on my LinkedIn profile. I just want to read it to you because it follows through. It says, Anne is very focused and successful in achieving the goals she sets. Really caring about those whom she works with and is keen to ensure that they learn and progress to the best of their abilities. So it's Christine's passion for me to finish my degree. <laughs> my staff got developed whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> so they loved me afterwards and they have thanked me afterwards. Maybe not so much at the time. One of the great things about being my age is I can look back and join the dots a bit. Whereas for the young lawyers that I help, I'm saying they're looking forward to possibilities, but you and I can look back. And so I just thought that was, I would never have connected those dots if you hadn't have asked me to do this I, conversation. I think what's instrumental there is that almost that passion was kind of like a spear that Christine's come at you with a spear and you've took it, right? And you've gone, that kind of hit a spot. And now you've got to take that spear out. And to some degree, you're going to be in a place of questioning. Because you'd already thought that you'd made a decision that you weren't going to be doing it. And now you've got to readdress your thinking. Yeah. So you've got to heal, really, before you can go on and do that, that somebody has given you that oomph of energy to do. And then you're still carrying that spear into your next role to go, who's next? It's happened to me. <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> yes. Please line up. Form an orderly queue to the left. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that that energy, you're transferring that energy, whoever she's touched has touched you and you've gone on and touched them. And if you think again about some of those people that have now thanked you, because let's face it, when we're in teaching mode or we're in learning mode, it can be a little bit like we go into being children, don't we? And we don't want to listen to mom and dad always because we don't always want them to be right all of the time. But certainly if you were to go back and have conversations with those people that have come through, I wonder how many people they've now touched. And that's the legacy. I would hope that they touch lots of people I wouldn't know. And I'd like to think so. I've been very lucky over the last 18 years. I've collected lots of testimonials a little bit more about what they do with it as opposed to where they've taken it. But it would be nice. I mean, that's a lovely thought to think that they're taking it elsewhere. Well, I'm just going to sort of say now, if you've worked with Anne Page, do get in touch with the show. I want to know what effect she has had on you so that we can shout about it, please. Because that's kind of it's what we all secretly want to do when we're looking to develop ourselves to be the best we possibly can be and the change that we want to affect in our lives, isn't it? It is. Oh, you've summed it up really well, Wendy. That's a really, really powerful story to say that those years ago, Christine just, I mean, so glad she got you by the scruff of the neck. I just read this departmental song. All I could remember was everybody must be looking at me. <laughs> I'd be 20 and I'm thinking, oh, OMG. I probably said it out loud. Well, internally, I wouldn't have sworn of those days. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how long did it take for you to get back and do your law degree? I did another year. So I had four years as a student. What can I tell you? (laughs) 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 And did that previous three years apply you in the last year? Or was it that effective? No, I totally had to, because we did the degree at Leeds Polytechnic, it was an LLB. So it's an external one. So the only way you could achieve it was by exams. So because I had walked out, I had to then retake the whole year and do all the exams again. Uh, certainly, there's a group of young lawyers that I mentor and they're all talking about, did they get a first or did they get, or they're counting up their points. We never had any of that discussion. <laughs> I just came out with a degree. <laughs> And yes. a great time. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was the first? <laughs> you mean you wanted me to stop? Anyway, so, and I then went on into industry uh, more as a graduate into a bank. And then I took my training contracts with the legal department there. And as I say, the rest is history. So, well, I'm so glad because you're now here telling the tale an inspiration to others who maybe, you know, they've started their journey, they need a, a quick shift of steer. A Christina touch. Yes. <laughs> you want me to grab them by the collars. <laughs> if, if you, if you need shaking down. Nose to nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anybody's up for a bit of nose to nose, then how is the best place for them to get in touch with you, Anne? <laughs> My website is Yorkshire Courses for Lawyers. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I'm sure there'll be lots of people that will enjoy listening to that anecdote. I really appreciate you sharing it with us all today. You're very welcome, Wendy. What do you think? Will you be thinking about jargon differently now? Turn a phrase and the language we use seriously influences our conversations and the outcome. This was a lesson I learned very early in my career and one of the top tips when working with clients today for me. So let's carry the conversation on, shall we? If you're in the legal profession, get in touch with Anne as it's a specific skill set. For anyone else, I'm here to help. You can grab a copy of Anne's book, Business Skills, Don't Be Daft, I'm a Lawyer, on our website, makingconversationscount.com under the guest offers and resources. You'll find lots of other tips, tricks and downloads there for you too. Join me again next week when we'll be talking all about relationship marketing with Joe Chatham. Heck, if you're lucky enough to go to a meeting and talk to one person for, you know, for the conversational part of the meeting and you're engaged with them for a half hour, then you're a winner. (laughs) 